Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story stories. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to episode 20, Bloomin' 9 of <gasps> The Pod Clarks. Here we are, Mishdi and Jay, coming to hear some stories uh, and discuss some talking points from our history. <laughs> you made a sound so intellectual there. I enjoyed it a lot. Let's discuss those talking points about our history very well. Right. Um, so, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. You are a regular feature, being the uh, being the whole reason we started it. What stories might you entertain us with today? Or indeed talking points. Or indeed talking points from our history. For discussion. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got one word to respond to that. Gulp is my word, because um, today's been a day of extreme activity. and Bungee jumping? No, I didn't include that. But my little line of ducks aren't quite in a row vis-a-vis this podcast. So I'm going to tell one story and launch into the unknown and see where it goes. Begging for help from the assembled participants. So, well, I don't I... like you, Tommy, but I am excited <laughs> to be launched into the unknown. It's what I live for. Yeah, it, look, bungee jumping. I've already mentioned it. Let's go. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, one thing to kick off excitement is mid-air dramas. I know we're getting bored with mid-air dramas from. I'm episode. not getting <laughs> bored of mid-air dramas. Let me tell you that. So my career, such as it was, um, was very international, as any dear, loyal listener will know, and involved hopping around the world from place to place, mostly on different kinds of aeroplane, quite often between countries and very often within countries. And it was the within-country aeroplanes that were perhaps more interesting in the sense that they didn't always seem to match up to international standards sometimes. Should Um, we see interesting and also recognise it as terrifying? Well, (laughs) uh, terrifying, I mean, I tended not to get... Well, there was a period where I did start to get frightened of flying. I don't know why, but it passed. But, um, I I mean, I think I've mentioned that when I first flew to Jordan on my second flight of my life on the way to Thailand the seatbelt came off in my hand. So, I mean, that was just an indicator that, that, that one of the things that is so integral to your pre-flight departure prep, please listen carefully and don't ever read your magazine or have your headphones on. Headphones? <laughs> That's quite a good word, actually. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> oh, I have a really good interjection at this point, Interject. which I learned last week, which is to do with you know how when you get on an aeroplane and they say, please now make sure your phone is on aeroplane mode, and we all go, well, of course, I'm a good citizen, I'll do that. But they don't do any kind of checking or enforcing it, and you just think, how can this be anything that's worth worrying about for the safety of the plane if they're not enforcing it? And, yeah, well, the answer is it isn't any danger to the plane. But what, what it... Do you know the answer to why, Shdi? I'm hanging on my no. seat, edge he's, of my seat. He's I mean. hanging on the edge of his mid-air seat um, with his seatbelt firmly fastened. Uh, 
in his hand. <laughs> and it's recently fallen off in his hand. But anyway, to cut a, a long story long, the reason is that phones these days are much more powerful than um, they used to be, which is obviously true. But to the to the point where if you have your phone on in a plane when it's travelling really fast, it's trying really hard to reach masts on the ground and it can kind of tell that one's coming up and it's reaching for it and it's trying to grab it and it's not quite doing it and, it's, and then you're past it and then it's reaching for the next one and because your phone amps up its power I think this might not be entirely scientifically true but this is what I've understood because your phone is like, can, tell, is it... can tell the masts are far away it's like ramping up the power that it's using to reach these masts and basically when everybody's phone if everybody's phones are all doing that it causes interference on the ground and basically causes problems with the masts and people signal as you're basically as a plane flies past you'd be meaning that people on the ground wouldn't be able to um connect properly which is bananas but makes some sense that actually it's not to do with the safety of the plane it's to do with like not the well-being of the everybody else but like the effect on the ground yeah well, you know well, what we was... say, if a, if a plane flies past, be careful nah, with the phone signal. Look, I was in a rush because I was worried the story was getting too long. So I no, it's a great story. I enjoyed it. Add a, add a few consonants in. No, I, I, loved, <laughs> I loved the amping up the power mm. as well as the ramping up. You said both, but I, I thought the amping up was great because mm. it's like power. <laughs> Amps are power, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was probably explained better to me the other day. But anyway, you get the gist. Yeah, that's interesting. I have, I've, I've definitely heard, I, I've definitely heard that there is a, it's a non-safety reason as to why we don't have aeroplane boats on. Because you're right that if it was a safety reason to do with the plane, they would definitely check. I mean, they probably take well, they confiscate off, them, right, wouldn't they? They take be, you off you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, that seems that seems kind of bonkers that it's to do with the signal on the ground. Yeah. But I felt so satisfied when somebody told me that because it's it felt like one of the world's great mysteries had just been taken away from Debunked. me. I was, I was yeah, I was pleased. Well, I learned quite a lot about um, airline procedures when I did a consultancy for an airline in Nigeria. What I hear you ask? What possible qualification? <laughs> what possible qualifications did you have for that? And um, the answer was none. But we were asked our firm that I was working was asked to um, investigate this airline and um, kind of make recommendations. And um, just in case I haven't mentioned it before, or even if I have, the airline was not doing well because it was really difficult to buy a ticket. Um, And that was a very easy consultant's um, Mm. conclusion. Yeah. Uh, because the, the they didn't have a website, and if you went down to, to buy it at the office, it was like a, a battle to get to. You. Anyway, um, my mid-air drama that I was going to tell you about is from um, the Sudan, which I visited quite a number of times. But this was right at the beginning of, of the trips that I made there, probably around 1991 or two, so when you were both little scraplets, really. Um, yeah, little scraplets. Or pre, even pre scraplets. Pre scraplets. Well, mm. as as is well documented, certainly at the beginning of this podcast, uh, <laughs> Tommy was born in 1992. <laughs> so if it was 1991, I would have he been might officially have been a, a pre scraplet. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, anyway. I, I had been asked to go and set up a programme in the Sudan. I mean, the people who asked me to go were taking a big risk, really. But on the other hand, it was an emergency situation and what they needed was somebody to, who was available, which I was, and who had got some common sense, which, who knows, jury's out on that one. <laughs> um, and who could physically go and just assess the situation. And this was because quite a number of refugees had come in from um, the um, from Eritrea into Sudan as refugees because of the fighting. And in fact, because of, of uh, that particular year was because of um, drought. So uh, people were in pretty poor shape, really, and they'd come over the border in various places. So I was sent out there. And I mean, I, I don't know landed in Khartoum, talked about this in another episode, but um, I was directed by the United Nations to go and look at this particular area called Damazine, which was um, south of Khartoum on the Nile, and it was where one particular group of refugees had come. And so the way to get there was on an internal flight on a, um, a Fokker. I don't know if you've seen the film Meet the Fockers, but it's the same spelling. Um, and uh, that is a twin engine propeller plane and the exciting thing about this particular plane is that if you happen to sit by a window by the wing normally that's rather boring because it covers you can't see the the view but here the um, wheels that it lands on come out of the casing is on the wing. So you, really surprisingly, you're looking out the wing and suddenly this wheel comes, junk, comes down. <clears throat> so the wing is above you rather than below? It's sort of halfway, I think, um, on the plane, but you can see that... Anyway, you can see the wheel come down, which is mm. excitement. Because I always get... I, well, I always got fed up if my window seat that I'd requested was by a wing, because you, all you get to see is the wing. But at least on this occasion, you could see the wheels come down and go up, which is very good. And in fact, I've seen a TikTok video, I should let you know, which has mm. filmed exactly this plane with the wheel coming But why it's interesting, why it's interesting is that the, as the plane takes off and the wheel goes chunk up into the, up into the, um, the wing, the wheel falls off and goes running down the runway. And, oh, um, what? And so, I mean, that's the TikTok video, and it's only sort of less than three minutes, so you don't know what happens, but they're taking off, and now that person knows that there's no wheel on that side of the... They're the still plane. flying around to this day. So, wait, that, wait, that's not intentional that the wheel falls off? No, not at all. No. That was like, it was a, <laughs> I thought you meant the design of the plane was that the wheel falls <laughs> off as it takes off, and then, like, another wheel comes down. Um, <laughs> Whoa, no, it's a, seri- a serious error. Mm. Look, I mean, we should get that person on because that sounds like a nearly mid-air drama. Mm. Is it? Well, yes, it could have been a mid-air drama. Mid-run well, was, drama. really. Yeah. But, um, but while anyway, we're on the... Anyway, su- to get... To no, to no, the... I've, got another, I've got another sidetrack, just quickly. Oh, OK. Which was um, about uh, another plane before this in about 1920 or 30 or something. These, which took, these dramas, I just never stop. It took I don't off. No, this all is... pre-scraplets in 1920. <laughs> <laughs> I was a pre-mini skimp myself, actually. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, this is really important because um, this plane took off and a wheel, <laughs> a wheel fell off. That's the link, which is why I remember to tell it now. <laughs> and uh, it's like a little biplane sort of with, with only one wheel. And, you know, they didn't, 
really have any sophisticated safety mechanisms those days. So the, the, the thing was, could, the, could it be saved? And this, this film, you can, I'm sure you can Google it and find this afterwards. Uh, other search engines, engines are available. <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, the, the, there's a film of another plane taking off with a woman on board carrying a spare wheel for the plane. And she straps it to her back and walks along the wing of this second plane that then flies really close to the plane that's in trouble. And she hops onto the wing of the other other plane with this thing and fits the wheel pl- while the plane is flying in midair. And then she jumps, wow. into the, jumps into the passenger seat of the stricken plane or previously stricken plane. Plane. plane, plane. <laughs> <laughs> Please, uh, previously stricken plane. And, and it lands with its, with its wheel. Anyway, have a look. It's great. And it's linked to that my story. That does sound very interesting. That, yeah. that, I would say, is a classic mid-air drama by the sounds of things. But I wasn't involved, unfortunately. But, yeah. Mm, mm. But w- what I was involved in was flying on this train, this plane. It's <laughs> definitely a plane, not <laughs> a train. <laughs> this train. Honestly, we're all, we're all muddling up our worms. <laughs> okay, seriousness now. <clears throat> now, the, I was on the plane. And uh, because I knew Damazine was on the Nile, I was looking out the window. I had a window seat with the wheel coming up and down. And uh, we just were flying along the Nile, which was completely normal to get to this place and completely expected. So as we were, I think it was about supposed to be about an hour and a half or something, this flight. And after 45 minutes, I noticed the plane take a, a 90 degree turn away from the Nile. And... Um, you know, sometimes planes do that in order to get onto a, the right aspect for landing. So, but it, it didn't stop it. You know, we were at, at cruising altitude. We hadn't started descending, so that was unusual. And after about five minutes, I thought, this is definitely not the route we should be taking to Damazine. After 10 minutes, I knew it, it wasn't the route we should be taking because we were flying way, way off course. So I was thinking, oh, I wonder, lots of things could happen here. It could be the pilot has got lost um, it could be there's a problem with the aeroplane. Uh, it could be... Well, I didn't think of anything else, actually. But the actual reason was a third thing. And that was that there was a problem uh, with the airport in Damazine. And it was because there had been um, some very high winds overnight and it had swirled up the Sahara dust. And a whole wall of dust had come in and, and completely covered the airport so you, you couldn't see to land. There wasn't any, hmm. any um, visibility. And... Um, these planes didn't have navigational aids for that particular um, landing spot. So as it later turned out, the captain came on and said, um, we can't land at Damazine, there's been um, a serious sandstorm. So we're diverting to Kassala, which was quite a long way to the north of Khartoum, but made sense of the turn um, from the Nile. But the problem was when we got to Kassala, the sandstorm had arrived there and we'd been flying for We've been flying for two hours now, and on an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half flight, you know, you definitely have extra fuel to allow you to divert and holding patterns and so on, but you don't have mm. double, the, double the fuel. So when he said um, there's a sandstorm at Kassler too, um, but we're going to hold above the airport and see if it clears, um, uh, and nobody really thought anything of it, but then without any further information, the plane started to descend. And uh, I think 
I, this was one of my first air, mid-air dramas, so I wasn't mm. quite used to them yet. And I definitely was a bit nervous, because when you looked out the window, all you could see was just brown. You know, you couldn't see anything mm. at all except brown. And the plane kept coming down. And, of course, you don't really know how far you've gone down yeah. and how close you are to the ground. But all the time, I was thinking, I wonder how safe this is. Or how dangerous this is, you know, because the mm. captain hasn't said anything. He's just said there's a sandstorm at Castle and we couldn't land at Damazine because of that. So we continued down and down and down and down and down. And, br- and it was just brown and brown and brown and brown and brown. That's, <laughs> that's all I've got to say for myself about this. Yeah. But then, guess what happened? I'm sure you can. You landed. The wheel fell off. You landed. The wheel okay. spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> the, wheel, I, the wheel didn't fall off no the wheel came down was the right answer yes it ah. came, it uh, and you could see that I could see that because that's just like three metres away from the window yeah. it's very close but the, what that told me is we we're about to land somewhere on something um, and <laughs> hopefully sh- shortly afterwards tarmac appeared and um, and we landed and we got out and taxied to the to the very sort of small terminal building I mean it was, didn't really constituted terminal building in the sense that we would think of it in those days um but we got out of the plane and really i mean you couldn't see the terminal building and you sort of think how on earth Mm. did he find that runway in the middle of that sandstorm Mm. i don't know the answer to that and i'm sure pilots listening will say well no it wasn't never at any risk whatsoever it was completely safe at all times but that was not my sense (laughs) and um so we had to spend the day in Kessler because um, they weren't allowed to take, take off. And we all went into town and the pilot and co-pilot came in and we were having a cup of coffee and various chit-chats around the table with some of the passengers. And um, I heard the pilot say to the co-pilot, of course, um, we're not cleared to fly at night. So, um, you know, we might be spending the night here. So uh, as time went on and on and on, it got to late afternoon and the sun began to go down. I was thinking, I wonder what, you know, what night means. You mm. know, when does night cut in? Because really I wanted to get back or get on or I didn't want to be spending the night there. But anyway, at about sort of half past five, I suppose, which was definitely dusk, uh, there was a call and we all had to go back to the airport and all got onto the plane. And Oh, but I should say by this time, the, the, the sandstorm had lifted. And when we got to the airport, the thing that was most shocking, to my mind at least, was that just at the end of the runway that we had approached from, then um, this happens in that part of Sudan, there's flat, what's if not quite desert, but flat sand and nothing else. And suddenly you'll get a big rock jutting right out of it, like a yeah. mini mountain. And there's one of these right at the end of the runway. Like, I mean, what a crazy place to put a runway is what I thought. But also... <laughs> what a silly place to put a rock. Well, that's right, you could... But, but also, I was thinking, I'm so glad I didn't know that when we were coming down and yeah, down and yeah. down and down and down. Because I don't know how they got their heights right and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, that's so... I love that story. Um, and I have used that before in the game Two Truths, One Lie, where... I was trying to think of, um, I find it quite hard to think of lies about things that you, you know, have done. And and, the, and for me, the trick is always to base it off some element of truth or to steal someone else's story. And so ah. I've definitely stolen that story to use in Two Truths, One Lie. Um, but 
what is interesting is my memory of it or my memory of you having told that at some point before is that when the sandstorm lifted you were on the edge of a cliff Oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> yes, well, well, but isn't that, but I mean, I guess this, it's still that same sense of, of peril, of peril that, that you weren't yeah. aware of until the sandstorm went. But yeah. but I have been picturing that story like, that's so like the runway was on the edge of a cliff or something. It was a sort of, <laughs> I mean, that would be a stu- very stupid place I, to have a runway. Well, I feel like probability wise, she probably does have a story about landing a plane at the end of a runway with a cliff at the end. Is that true? <laughs> Do you have I any cliff-related mid-air dramas? I can't think of it at the moment if there is one, mm. no. Don't think so. We'll no. make one up for next time. TBC. Indeed, yeah. But, um, but anyway... It's an excellent I mean, story. Mm. It is, and I, and I live to tell the tale. And I, I mean, I think that's... The, the one, uh, the the other one where the engine blew up on takeoff, which you can find in episode. Blah, 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 blah. You'll have to look it up in the notes. Um, I think it's the one that says three midair dramas. Um, uh, those two are the ones I think were probably most dodgy in terms of 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 kind of safety, really. And the second mm. one, that when the engine blew up, that I, my only basing that on the terror on the net, on the face of the stewardess. Who are trained not to look scared and trained not to, to run up yeah. and down the place looking panicked. So I thought if if you were panicked, there must be a reason for that. <laughs> so I mm. think there was I think there's more to that story than we ever knew as passengers, probably. Um mm. but um just as well really. Do you have any mid air dramas, Jay? Or have you had clean sailing? Is clean sailing a word? What do you say? It doesn't sound right. No, it Clear. doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> Pl- um, Clear sa- plane sailing. Plane sailing. Plane sailing. Look at that. Oh, plane sailing. sailing. <laughs> Have you had any mid- mid-air dramas or has it's it all been plane sailing? Plane sailing. <laughs> That's the title for the podcast. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't think I have, which I'm happy about because yeah. I'm not a keen flyer. So, I, I would say that it's. I mean, I'm very unusual in the sense that the things that happen to me are very, very, they're very yeah. rare. They they really don't happen to, to hardly anybody. So the fact that two or three things like that of unusual have had, and I haven't flown that much. You know, there are people mm. who fly all day, every day. You know, commute on planes really. So, um, but I read a statistic: you to be sure of being in a fatal accident, you have to take one hour flights back to back for a. I don't know, 500 years or something, non-stop, night and yeah. day. So yeah. if you really want to be it's sure. safer than driving. <laughs> it's the safest part of your journey is what they always say, isn't it? They say... I know, it's just so mm. unnatural to be up in the air. Great, thank you for sharing that mid-air drama. One of my... It feels a bit weird to say one of my faves. But one anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a good... Scary stories. It's, it's a good story. What next? What should we talk about next? Well, I was thinking about the different um, kind of things that happens uh that we are all involved in and i mean because the next section of my life involved sort of trying to find local partners around the world who would use this digital learning tool that we were we were designing and uh we talked a couple of episodes about launching that in india and um the drama of the minister of health turning up with all his entourage but it also we'd sent a similar container classroom uh, equipped with DVD players and this learning tool to to South Africa, and that had been sent to a very well known historical place called Rourke's Drift, and many of the thousands of listeners will know of Rourke's Drift from their history lessons, 
because it was the scene well it, the it was the scene of a famous battle um between zulu warriors and british warriors and depending on who you listen to the um triumph was on both sides really <laughs> so uh, which is a very, it's a really good illustration of how history is written by the people who win usually but anyway Rourke's Drift is a place in South Africa uh in in uh the Zulu kingdom is that is this what the film Zulu is based on it mm. is yeah exactly mm. yes. have you seen that I have a long time ago yeah my name is Michael Caine yeah, I, I was, it was funny. I was thinking it was a Michael Caine film, but I I've not seen it, so mm. maybe I should add I mean, it to my to watch list. I think I saw it, it is, like on telly when I maybe like one day I was off school or something, and I watched. I have such a vague memory of watching some of it, but it's just really. I mean, it's a battle, isn't it? And it's one of those. It's an ep- it's absolute epic, and but it is very much one side of the story, um, mm. and and yeah, a, a, a glorified side of the story, really. Um, but I'm not going to go into the detail of that because I don't know enough about it and forgotten it. But um, Rourke's Drift is a, a place where there is a uh, uh, a centre that has tourists go to hear the story of the battle, to visit the key places. Because um, there are lots of people who do battlefield tours, which always seems sort of unusual mm. to me, really. Yeah. But it's a, it's a place where people flock to from around the world, hear the stories, um, have a nice sort of accommodation and meals and gone away. And the couple who ran that centre, um, whose name escaped me for the moment, actually, David, his name was his first name, but um, uh, they uh, had a programme where they used the profits or some of the profits of their business to reach out to the Zulu community around them. And um, uh, that included support for a school um, for local people and this was the school where we sent the a container classroom to so this container classroom was dispatched I was told that it would be um wouldn't last six months though all the equipment would be stolen and it would be looted and um and, and wouldn't last but we sent it and um we didn't hear any more but later on there was this sense that it sh- somebody should go and have a look and see how it got on. And that's how, amongst other reasons, we as a family ended up going to South Africa where we paid our own way to go on a holiday, really. Um, and part of the reason was to go and check on this particular container classroom. And I don't know how much you remember about that holiday, but we co-opted uh, Caroline, our good friend, and... Mm-hmm. Along the way, and I was in fact, I was asking him, Clive, our other good friend, how it came about that he he was involved in that, and whether Caroline was first and he joined second or the other round. But it turned out his memory is very clear, and um, I had invited him along, and he amongst he knew Caroline from working together with her, and she was a good friend of the family. Anyway, however it happened, us four and those two all got on a plane and went off to South Africa, and. Uh, one of our colleagues in the organisation, Tracy and her family, decided to come along for the ride. So this whole party of, well, there were five of them, I think, and six of us, which would have made 11. When uh, you look back and, on it, it's such a uh, motley crew of ragtag sort of random people. Massively random. And I, I mean, I do see my hand in that because I kind of like that kind of drama 
because I like to think <laughs> that could work out well. Anyway, it was very random. And, um, but and it, it did, did work, work out, out well. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. But I mean, we, we arrived. Oh, well, the journey. Do you remember the journey? We went on via Abu Dhabi. Yes. And I can remember right. sitting, sitting in the airport in transit for four hours, I think, feeling dead, absolutely dead. That's what I remember about that. I, my, I remember on the way out that we we were flying to, I think, Johannesburg, but then we got straight on a plane to East London and it was it was it was sort of there's something so funny about going what is it like a 12 hour flight to south africa and then and then your destination is east london yes that's right <laughs> yeah and i remember that one of us who should remain nameless who'd booked their own ticket had booked the east london flight for the wrong day because they'd got muddled up over the time zones oh, and the, no. hour, the hour changes and so and it was pre just pre christmas if i'm was it pre christmas it, yeah, it was pre christmas yeah, yeah. And so the flights were all booked up and we were on this flight, all the 10 rest of us, and this 11th person wasn't. And it was a case of how can we, how can we get them on? I've got quite a lot of experience of trying to persuade airlines to do things. Wheeling and dealing. But you never know. It just all depends on all sorts of unknown factors. Anyway, short story short, um, they, they, they found a seat. Them, they found them a seat. <laughs> <laughs> I was just waiting for you to, to, to do that. that. Saying that it was pre-Christmas has reminded me that we had one of the most unusual and brilliant Christmas days that I can remember because, mm. you know, obviously Christmas Day, you sort of have your family traditions and you kind of do your normal things. But we were in South Africa where it was summer and we were visiting a... It was a family... I can't remember what the link was with this family, well, why it's a we very, ended up with them. Very convoluted. So um, Helen Taylor-Thompson, who was the chair of this organisation, and I've talked about it before, she had been on a safari to South Africa and had hired a driver. And Sheila was the driver that was supplied to her. This was several years previously. Mm. And Sheila and Helen had got on like a house on fire and they had sort of swapped names and addresses... And so when we said we were going to South Africa, Helen said, oh, you must go and see Sheila. And that was her family that we spent Christmas Day with. It was so brilliant because we had a we had a big barbecue for the, all the food and we went to a waterfall, went for a, yeah. like, went for a swim. And then we played this really fun game, which I have played since <laughs> a, a few times because I just think it works. It works very, very well with a group of people who want to share sort of the experience of opening presents but don't necessarily need to do specific present buying and it's a game where you all bring a present with you and they're kind of put into the middle and you well when I've played it since we we rolled a dice I can't remember if that's what we actually did in South Africa but you it's you have different kind of um options depending on what number you have and it it could be open a present steal a present pass the present to the left pass the present to the right and it's just really it's just really fun because you sort of you all get the fun of playing a game you know everyone's spent a sort of nominal amount on the on the like the gift and it becomes you know I sort of remember like everyone's you know you've got your eyes on the thing that's maybe that you kind of want because mm. it might come up that you can nab it. Have I is that is that a correct memory of the game? 
yeah, yeah pretty, pretty, pretty much. I mean, because the thing is, it it takes it takes the pressure off um, buying a present for somebody that they might not want or they might want mm. or you know, or, the, or you might not know well. We didn't, yeah, yeah, we didn't know most of the people there. As no, well as we I didn't. Can remember. No, no but, and it was, it was such a long table of people, mm. kind of all eating and stuff. And I think that is one of my favourite ways of, um, I don't know, like I just really like that environment of sort of lots of people eating and sharing and stuff it's just felt really it was just great I really loved it it was really special my key memory from that day is the waterfall I remember just Mm. being like it's Christmas day and I'm under a waterfall what on earth is going on this is completely bananas but so memorable but yeah and I had completely forgotten about that game until you just said that it was really fun to remember because I do I do remember doing that although I can't remember any of the presents but that's not the point is it the point is, the point. we had fun. <laughs> so, um, part of that trip was uh, meeting other people who might be interested in using the materials, and, and one of them was what we believed to be Nelson Mandela's me- nephew. And in fact, we spent the mm. first night, first night in South Africa at his house. Now. The term nephew is very loosely applied in that particular context, but he was from Nelson Mandela's family. And I had previously been on a previous trip, previously, um, <laughs> to, to, and had, had been to, to visit with him. And the, one of the days we nearly went to see Nelson Mandela's uh, in his house in in Eastern Cape, wow. and um, there are two things. I actually don't have any regrets. I try not to have any regrets about anything because I think you know so much is good. But if there are two things that I say, oh, I wish that had happened, that is one of them. <laughs> and um, the other one was when I was in Cambodia when it was in transitional government, and I there was a chance for me to go and see Angkor uh, to to the town where Angkor Wat is before mm. it was ever touristified or before it was ever really kind of made accessible. And um, I, um, I followed the line of duty rather than the line of desire on that occasion. Mm. Those are the two things <laughs> that I, I, I would change if I could. I don't know Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat. It's, a, um, it's a, a Buddhist temple of extraordinary proportions and incalculable cleverness the way it's constructed mm. and it was lost in a jungle really to the, for the most part and now i think you know you can buy popcorn and candy floss so um mm. but um mm. yeah yeah it's pretty good that first night in um south africa we were staying in a very remote village it didn't have running water um no. they collected i remember the big the water butts mm. yeah it was that that, that i think outside. was my the first time I've I've ever really, I guess, been part of a community that that lives in such a different way, to mm. to the way that we live in the UK. It was a, it was yeah it was certainly it it felt like a, it was a really good start to that whole experience, which was seeing lots of different ways of living. I think. Yeah, no, completely. And and I mean, I think it still strikes me that, you know, if it doesn't rain, they don't have water, mm. you know, and, and um, yeah, it's, and, but, and I think the accommodation was very basic. It was a very good start. Now, I remember there was a most stunning sunset, just as we, as we arrived at it. It was like a, a welcome sunset to Africa. It was quite incredible um, on that occasion. 
Because so, it was also... Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, the, it was so juxtaposed to the other thing that I really remember from that trip was when we stayed in Durban, which I also found really shocking because of how segregated Secu- that community was. The security and everything, that sort of thing, do you mean? Or... Yes, yeah, and, and the, mm. there was just a section of the city, is it a city? Mm. Um, where Where there was immense security and I spent a night staying in a place that was different to where you guys stayed I oh can't... I'd forgotten that with, with the dogs yeah and, it, and she was dog sitting wasn't she yeah and I mean and it was like it was an incredibly fancy house but I I could not get over the level of security and that there was like um you know, there was there was gates on absolutely everything, but there was also gates at the top of the stairs, yeah. like a foot, like a full gate. You know, so you were you were really kind of locked in. And am I right in saying that they trained dogs to attack black yeah, people on site? Yeah. yeah, which yeah. was you just it was that whole thing was so shocking. Mm. And I yeah. No, these are very thought provoking, and you know continuing dilemmas really um and you you can remembering that you can have a sort of sense of way i felt when i landed in zambia age 22 and had you know i had no idea that that the world was so out of balance mm. even though i'd had a very good education and i say that again and again because and it it, it kind of changed everything i thought i sort of thought why why isn't anybody doing anything about this mm. and um that that's why I tried to try and do something about it for the next few years. But uh, it, it is, um, it's an uncomfortable and continuing truth. Yeah. I, but I do remember the, gate, the gates in, in, um, in Durban were just, you know, the electric fences, mm. um, barbed wire, um, ar- you know, armed guards. Most houses mm. had a guard. Um, so, so, yeah. Is it still like that, do you know? Because we're talking sort of 2006, so it's it's nearly 20 years ago. I don't think anything's changed in that respect, no. Mm. Um, I mean, they have a black majority rule government, but the reality is that the power dynamics are still still out of balance. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I haven't been there for a long time, so Mm. I can't really say, but... um, but um, so anyway, on our trip, we then went to this place, Rourke's Drift, where we had sent this container. And um, uh, my memory of that, and you can chip in if you disagree, is that we, we drove up, it, we, we arrived there on New Year's Day, uh, having spent New Year's Eve on, in a little house on that, on, in that area, um, where we'd, we, <laughs> we had bought some fireworks, if you remember those? <laughs> um, yeah. How could we forget? <laughs> yeah. And we were we were very worried about disturbing animals with these fireworks. But nobody was disturbed by these fireworks because they were so feeble and pathetic. And it was I, I also feel like I can remember it was like they were like the candle type ones where it's like a long stick and it fires off multiple yeah shots yeah. and you sort of think they're going to be 
with some uh, level of urgency, but I also kind of remember them being really slow and you're like, is it finished? Not sure. Doesn't really make any difference <laughs> if it has or not. It was incredibly like, <laughs> underwhelming. <laughs> yeah, but but probably left a far, far bigger um, yeah, I don't think indentation in our memories if, if, <laughs> than if it had been a huge rocket. Yeah. And, and, also, and also no no wildlife was troubled by them. That's yeah. Sure. yeah, maybe it's by design. Um, maybe it's... <laughs> yeah. Giraffe yeah. safe fireworks. I remember when we all went shopping and we all bought one and they're in their kind of trolleys, in their shopping trolleys. They were like sort of four or five feet high, these tubes, and they were huge, you know. Mm. They were very mm. impressive to look at. But um, so New Year's Day, we went down to the school to um, to inspect the container and went to the headmaster's house um, to get the keys. And he was still drunk, really, if the truth be known, um, or certainly hung over from the night before. And he just said, here are the keys, on you go, sort of thing. So we went and let ourselves in to the school, or to the container at least, and um, there it was, outside. And I just remember very clearly that every single DVD player was there, the screens were there, the controllers were there, the discs were all piled up neatly beside each workstation. Um, and there was a, a schedule on the wall of how the classes used the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, afternoon, and it, and then that was astonishingly enough. But the most, the most kind of pungent memory I have. I'm not sure that's the right. <laughs> pungent doesn't sound very good. <laughs> I like it though. Yeah, I've got a pungent memory of some socks. Well, that, poignant. Well, yeah, you, you you can tell why I've used that word mistakenly is because it's is the whole place smelt of polish. <laughs> so mm. It's like there was the smell of somebody had been there cleaning it, and it um, was a pungent memory. Sure Mm. Well, it was, but I think <laughs> pungent is negative, whereas this was was positive. But um, it was a really big lesson that, you know, you can give a gift to people. And when you give them something, it's theirs to do whatever they like with. And you should not be upset if they sell it, give it away, trash it, throw it out. You know, you shouldn't be. You might be, but you shouldn't be because you've given it to them. It's theirs mm. to do what they, they like with. And there's a lot of discussion debate about you know, if you give food to a community and they suddenly you find the UN rice is on sale in the local market and everybody gets up in arms about it and says, this is terrible, you know, we gave them this gift and they've sold it. But that's their right, you know, and if their judgment is that cash now is more important than rice later, um, you know, we we shouldn't and judge them, I don't believe. Anyway, um, but you give them that gift. But if that gift is of value to them, and isn't something they don't really want in the first place. And that's another thing I think in life, you know, if somebody gives you something you don't really want, it's really annoying to have to be grateful for it, but you do, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, mm. But if you give them something they really want, then they really look after it, you know, and treasure it. Well, we're all the same in that, mm. you know. And um, so, so that was a really good indication that this tool that we developed was valuable because, my goodness, didn't they look after it? Yeah, it was a wonderful experience, actually. Mm. Very Powerful. Some good notes for us at Christmas time too. <laughs> to say thank you for things you don't really like, you mean? Uh, <laughs> to not worry if the person sells your gift. <laughs> <laughs> you find it on sale in the local market. But it's yes. a very good point. It's, just, it's the same. Um, it's the same principle with giving um, people who are begging money. Lots of people get very funny about. Yeah. When people ask for money you know what they might spend it on and it just doesn't matter like no. you, you have the choice whether or not you choose to give them money it's not your choice what that money gets spent on 
No, it's, it's a it's a hard thing for a sort of middle class person to swallow that, but it's really true what you just said. Really true, because um, we think we know what's good for everybody. Yeah, but, we, but if, really unless we you've lived that life, you just can't. Yes, we should call this the philosophy podcast. The philosophy the, cast. Oh, I was trying to do it. I was trying to. Philosophy. <laughs> what the, is it? The Philosopher Clarks. No, that sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got news for you. We're rapidly becoming it. Oh. A dinosaur. Oh. At Twenty-nine so, years uh, old. Twenty-nine old months old. past our time. My only other two link, linked stories to zoo to the Zulu Kingdom um, have already been recounted, but I'm quickly going to copy them here because I'm um, copy and paste them here because they are um, related to this fantastic Zulu area, which is a gorgeous bit of countryside. And it's presided over by the king of Zululand, who in that particular time was a king called King Goodwill Zuelathini. And I never met him, but we invited him to the launch of our second container, not at Rourke's Drift, but in another school in Zululand. And uh, he didn't reply. And I've told this story before, but then just on the day of the opening, I got a call in my office in Warwick from South Africa on a sort of very crackly line and all I could hear was the words the king is coming the king is coming the king is coming and those are words I'd only ever heard in church before <laughs> so I was very very taken by that and he did turn up and I wasn't there obviously I was in Warwick but um we had some other people who were there and uh, there was a whole troop of dancers and uh, and he opened the container for us. Um, wow, that's and amazing. Then mm. And then we, we sent a third container to Zululand, which went to an orphanage, which was called God's Golden Acre Orphanage. And this is significant because before I went out to open that container and I asked our solicitor, who lived in Warwick, and he... Um, uh, was our solicitor for conveyancing houses, buying, selling houses, and so on. And um, uh, I just happened to ask him whether he fancied coming too. And to my astonishment, he said yes. And he had come up with this link with God's Golden Acre in the first place. So he wrote to them and said, Did, what would they like for us to bring with us? And um, they sent a list of things, which were um, pencils, pads, blah, 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 usual sorts of things. And as I've described before, larger women's size bras, which wasn't expected mm. to see on the list. And that was funny because he lived next door to Sarah Tremellan, who had started Bravissimo, which was a company specialising in bras for the larger woman, which she had started after she was became pregnant and found she couldn't find a bra to fit. And so in all the most unlikely series of events... Whilst he was in his back garden, he called over the fence to Sarah, who was <laughs> hanging out at washing. Have you got any larger bras we could take to South Africa? And she said, oh, I've got a box full of them, returns that we can't sell. So, yeah, you can have them all. So that's how Gareth and I came to take 400 larger size women's bras in our luggage to South Africa (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and sent them to to the orphanage. But um, it's actually really important because... Um, apparently, and I'm just reporting what I've been told uh, from the orphanage, um, uh, girls who don't wear bras are more likely to be sexually assaulted um, in South Africa. So it's a it's a safety issue as much as anything else. And that was like 
just amazing to have been able to do that. And mm. everybody won because Sarah had got these bras she didn't need in her cellar and couldn't sell. Um, the orphanage needed them. We were able to take them. No money changed hands. Yeah. And um, mm. nobody asked us anything at customs, fortunately. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that, I think, is most of my memories about South Africa, that trip. I'd love to go back because I think my my overriding memory was how was just what an amazing country it was, and we were mm. lucky to see lots mm. of different bits of it. I think so we did we did quite an epic sort of road trip, three thousand kilometers. Was it? Wow. Yeah, it was. I each different my... place we went to was just amazing. Yeah, I've got a very very positive, overarching memory of the whole thing, as well as. One of the biggest things I remember is how long all of the car journeys were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I remember kind of getting used to the idea of a nine-hour car journey, like mm. because we just did loads of them, and yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was. It was so good. Was I think slightly just very weird. very quickly, my one of the first memories I think I have of because we went on a safari while we were there, and I remember us driving into the safari park. And getting very overly excited when we thought we'd seen a giraffe in the distance and we'd stopped <laughs> on the road and we're staring into the distance at this little thing and we're going, oh, it's a giraffe, it's a giraffe, I can tell it's a giraffe. And we were there for <laughs> what I remember being about 20 minutes looking at it, seeing it kind of move its head a little bit and going, it's definitely a giraffe. And then sort of eventually being like, it's not moving though, it's, <laughs> it's waving, but I don't think it's actually moving. So I think we decided it was a, a tree and then <laughs> later on... Just being like, you know, within t- five meters of loads of giraffes because yeah, they're all over the yeah. place, and then being like, no, that's a giraffe. No. <laughs> we didn't. That's we didn't. Definitely eat a giraffe. <laughs> so funny. But, that is so funny. But do you remember seeing the rhinoceroses that suddenly came out of nowhere and rushed off? Yeah. yeah. Lots of that was quite scary in a way. There yeah, was lots definitely. Of, like four or five, weren't there? Excellent. We've enjoyed ourselves. I don't uh, know about yeah. any listeners. <laughs> certainly. <laughs> Good work, everybody. Next year, next um, month is episode 30. <gasps> we'll have to have wow. a 30th birthday party. Soon it'll be as old as I am. Anyway, thanks very much, Steve. Yeah, Dean. thanks, Steve. Okay, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>